We're storytellers here. And like snowflakes and fingerprints and rings in a tree stump, every kiss also holds a story. What are your kisses? What are your stories? We have all come here tonight with a huge, heartfelt bouquet of kisses to give to you, one story at a time. So what do you say we get started? On this episode, Steve and I reflect on the public experiment we just pulled off in Cincinnati, a night of storytelling and revelry that still has us floating. Stay tuned. You are listening to the Rebel Storytellers Podcast. Rebel Storytellers. Candid conversations with dreamers, doers, and creative problem solvers. Hosted by Brad Wise and Steve Fuller. A wee podcast made in Cincinnati, Ohio. So Brad, Steve, something happened Friday night. Something did happen. What happened? We, we, we put on our first ever four-letter word show, and we, uh, we all riffed on the word kiss. So some people may not know what we're talking about. Okay. So what I want to do is I want to take people back in time, all the way back to the year 2014. Okay. So once upon a time... Uh, you had an idea or a team of folks around Rebel had an idea. And uh, I want you to tell me about where it all started. So in the fall, we did this SWOT analysis. And coming out of that, we started to wonder, could we have – the dream was, like, where do you want to be someday? And we just, like, started sharing. And it was, what if we had a venue where we got to put on shows on the weekends – not sure what those would be yet, but that would be cool. And we wanted, like, a roof deck wherever this place was. <laughs> and then we also wondered, like, could we start doing – do we deserve to start doing any sort of training during the week? Like, leadership training or story training or improv training. Training – like, you training others to do that? To Like, yeah, because a lot of us have experience doing that stuff in our past lives, and we're I think we're okay at it. And we just wondered – would that be something people would want? And as we started to analyze, okay, well, what would we actually, like, what do we do that's worthy of being taught to someone? And we started to realize that we bring naturally this um, improv, the rules of improv comedy we bring to our creative process. And so we just, like, started listening to them. And one was uh, we share the spotlight, meaning that whoever we're sharing the stage with, they're the ones that are we're going to focus on. They're going to get the spotlight. It's not about us. It's about them. Um, we also agree and accept. We say yes and. When we're faced with a challenge, we agree that that's the problem, and then we accept what we're going to do, and we say yes and how are we going to elaborate on that. The other thing we do in our process is that we listen. When you're doing improv, you, you have to listen to people because you're ultimately responding to what they say. And then a part of it is just trust. You know, When you're on stage doing this, you trust each other. That level of trust has to be there in order for either something on stage working or something within um, your team working. And so we, we wrote these things down, and then we looked at it, and we're like, holy cow, this is... <laughs> that spells a word. That spells a word, salt. And then I was like, okay, what do we do with that? Mark Haas actually remembered the story. Um, it's like an old legend or parable about the king who asks his daughters, like, describe your love for me. Have you heard this story? I have not. 
So I'm going to I'm going to butcher but there's a million different versions of it so it doesn't really matter. But he's, he tells his daughters, like, I'm going to give away my inheritance. Explain your love for me. Describe it to me. And whoever does the best job gets everything. So the first daughter comes up and says, your love is like gold, and it's the most precious thing in the kingdom and shiny and blah, blah, blah. And he said, okay, that's pretty cool. The other one comes up and says, your love is like rubies or whatever, some other, like, you know, expensive thing and on and on and on. And he says, that's great. The third daughter comes up, the youngest one, and she says, your love is like salt. And he just gets furious and he kicks her out. He like banishes her from the family, sends her down to like wash dishes. She works her way up into the kitchen. And finally she has the chance to like um, make the meal for this huge feast that the king is having. And she leaves salt out of the entire meal. And they serve the meal and it's terrible. And the king flips out and he wants to know who's responsible for this. The meal is so, you know, horrendous. And his daughter comes up, and it's he didn't know that she was the cook. And he says, what are you doing? And she says, this is what I meant. Salt is what pulls the flavor out of the food. It's what preserves it. Like the rotten food you're tasting tonight is because there was no salt in it. The lack, the bland taste, there's no salt in it. Salt is the most precious thing there is because it, it enhances everything, and it preserves and goes on and on about just how precious salt is. And... When he told that story, like I was just on the edge of my seat listening to it because it was great. And I thought, oh, like we got to make a video about right. that. Like if we're ever going to have a training thing, like that's the story we have to tell because it perfectly explains what our system of creativity is in our creative process. And then from there, just he and I we were like, you know, it would be sweet. Like what if we what if every month we did a four-letter word show? Like, this one could be one of the ones later down the road because who's going to want to come to a salt show out of the gate? <laughs> Bobby Flay. Yeah. But we could just riff on one four-letter word, and that could be one of the stories. Like, how, And I kept, I kept saying, like, how you can just picture Joe in this, like, low-lit bar, like, t- with the lights on him, telling this story and elaborating on it in only the way that he can. Like, that would be a thing. Like, we should do these shows. I think what's interesting about creativity is always getting from the idea to the execution because we've mentioned this in previous podcasts, but everyone has an idea. Almost no one gets to the execution. So what was the first thing that you did in order to figure out, okay, we got this great idea. What are we going to do? One of the first things we did was we just, we looked at, we looked at our group of friends and we say, who's in our network who could be a part of this? And probably one of the very first names that, that jumped out at us was uh, Sean. Steve Fuller. Steve Fuller. Um, was Sean Critchfield, who lives out in Vegas. He's Joe's um, old pal. But he does spoken word stuff. And I was like, oh, well, no matter what we do, he has to be a part of it. And that was maybe the first big uh, rock we put into the bucket. And then we started to think about well, what are the other big rocks? Like who are the other people that we know for sure are going to do something? And you put those in and then you start filling in. It's that old analogy. Like you, how do you fit in the rocks and the sand into the bucket? You got to get the big stones in first and then the sand fills in around it. I've never heard that one either. Really? I'm, I've learned two things already yeah. in this podcast. If you put the sand in first, then the, the big rocks and other right. rocks don't fit in. I want to stop yapping about the show and actually play you something from the show. So this next clip is a small portion of a piece that Sean Critchfield wrote for the show. It's what started the night. Enjoy. Kiss. 
to touch or press with the lips, slightly pursed, and then often to part them in an expression of affection, love, greeting, and reverence. Childish, to kiss, to smooch, to butterfly kiss, peck, smack, plant one on. My first kiss, my very first kiss, that would be my mother and the purest kiss that I'd ever know. And I'll leave it at that, except to say that my mother does all things simply, including kissing. My favorites were her goodnight kisses or maybe her uh, welcome home from school kisses. Teenage, to French, <laughs> to make out, necking, first base, tongue kiss. My first kiss, not like the mom kiss because that would be weird, um, but a kiss kiss. Shannon Ramey, I was 15. Shut up, I was a late bloomer. <laughs> what do you guys want? I spend most of my time writing poetry and playing Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> All right, back to our discussion about the show. So one of the early things that happened, because I was there, I was a part of it, was you had a brainstorming session. And this was probably, I'm guessing, before you had hardly any idea of what the night would look like. Zero ideas. Yeah. So you brought in 12 people? Yeah. Yeah. I like to get a clashing personalities and viewpoints, but the one thing that everyone that I would invite to a brainstorming session has to have is that ability to say yes and, and to not... Like it drives me crazy in brainstormings when people just say, no, that wouldn't work because of X, Y, Z. And that's hard for people to turn that off. So the people I invited are folks who, um, easier than most folk, can turn that critic off in their in their brain. And we sort of just went, I mean, you can tell me what you thought of the process, but we just went through, like, what are the emotions and the feelings and the experiences that we've had with this word kiss from the time we were little until if we can imagine the time that we're, we've grown old. And that was, that was the bulk of the, the process. We brought in burritos and we had some beers and that was. Yeah. Margaritas. Yeah. Right. So coming out of that, the brainstorm session was great. You know, just got all these different stories from people and different emotions and feelings. And it really, really uh, informed the next stage of the process, which was, okay, who, again, going back to then, who do we know? And, Let's do what we're good at. Let's not try to take new risks and like all of a sudden learn how to, I don't know, do jujitsu storytelling. Ah, that would have been cool though. Let's not do that this time. Let's learn jujitsu and then two years down the road do it. Deal. But let's stick to what we're good at and then fill in the 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 gaps with with those people. So what I did was I talked to people like Harmony, who you're gonna hear from next. Because I knew when Harmony steps on a stage, moxie happens. And I figured she had a story from her past experiences that would fit in well. In high school, Harmony got real sick, and she missed a huge portion of the school year. And she came back, got put into the special ed classroom, and was basically forgotten. Especially during prom. As did all her special ed friends. And so this clip is about that initial moment in high school, but I want you to know that this experience is why Harmony went on to start throwing parties and proms for adults with special needs. But that's another amazing story for another podcast. Let's hear just a little bit about her high school prom. 
And so I'm waiting, waiting, waiting to get this invitation to the prom, and it's not happening because my school forgot to invite me because I wasn't there because I was in special ed and I was sick and blah, blah, blah. So I called the school. I'm like, hey, Sarmony, ready for the prom. I got my dress. I've been to Penny's, which where I'm from is a big deal. Um, it's like fashion week. Like this was not a Kmart dress, people. Kathy Ireland had nothing to do with it. This was from Penny's and I looked good in it, okay? And my boyfriend from church camp was gonna come from two hours away. I just needed to go to the prom, okay? Like, I was gonna make this happen. As you were asking people, so how many, were there 12 people? I think there were, a couple of them had t- more than one person, yeah. but yeah, ten to twelve people. Ten to twelve folks. So, as you're asking these people, what what kind of responses did you get? How did you approach them? Did, did you get any no's? Were people hesitant? Were they? What was that like? Yeah, I certainly got a, a a handful of no's. Let's say five because of scheduling conflicts mostly. But when I would lay that out there, like, hey, we're going to do this new kind of. Um, variety show where we're going to just tell stories and we're going to play um, and it's going to be all of us riffing on the four-letter word, kiss, and how that changes meaning. I feel like everyone got it. Everyone that I pitched that to understood it and was was like, oh, that sounds cool. And that's kind of early on in your creative process. If you can like have that little elevator pitch and people get it and respond to it, then you kind of know you're on the right track. And I felt like this concept had that. Um, but yeah, there's a couple people that couldn't make it. There's a couple people that I asked to do something, and then they did. And then when we looked at the whole um, the whole night, we had a little bit too much of this one emotion, so that probably didn't fit anymore. So I had to go back and kind of have that conversation of like, hey, that thing that you created and I asked you to, like, I liked it, but it probably just doesn't fit with this uh night anymore would do do you have interest in doing something else or do you want to just wait for the next one and a couple times it was just like well i don't have time right now so i'll wait till the next one and i hope they weren't offended but again that was another lesson i learned from past failure of and and i think you've helped me with this is knowing that the ultimate goal can't be that you just want everyone to get to play it's got to be that but there has to be a filter system and you have to care about the big picture. It can't just be about wanting all your friends to be there. Sometimes you have to say, hey, it's not, we have enough kickball going on. Let's bring your kickball back another another time. We're not going to play that at this time. Right. Because your default mode is you have a, a big group of friends. A lot of them are creative and you just want everyone to hang out and play and have a good time, which is fun, uh, which is fun for people that are playing. But sometimes if you're watching it may not always be the best mix and yeah and then with this with this concept i feel like i have a plethora of friends who could do the improv thing but i didn't want it to feel like just an improv show so you have to make some i had to make some decisions that i think ultimately paid off cuz to me the most important part of this show was that sort of uh good roller coaster of feels that i wanted to create and like coming out of the show that's probably the 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 number one feedback that I, I've gotten from people when asking them, so what what'd you think or what was your favorite part? And a lot of people have said my favorite part was the whole thing because it just like I just got to go on this ride. And so. So they're cheating. 
by not saying what their favorite part I was. I don't think they're cheating. I think I think what we set out to do actually worked. And it worked because, like, you even made the comment to me afterwards, like, well, that went off way better than we could have imagined. And I said, that's that's true, but I also spent a lot of time really thinking about the order of how these pieces would fit and what what the emotion at the beginning and end of each one was going to be. And I think pushing into maybe some of pushing into some past failures and also experiences I've had of writing screenplays and stuff of knowing you need that ebb and flow of emotion. I think it worked. I think it connected with people. So what Steve should have done next is tell you the story about how he was wrong and I was right, but he didn't. So I will. That night of the show, I put Steve right after Brooke and Aaron Wright's crazy powerful story about adoption. In their story, there were sad tears, happy tears. It was an intense story that I'm sure we'll post up in its entirety online someday. But in the middle of it, old skeptic Steve texted me and he said, and I quote, thanks for putting me up after this story, you dumb idiot. And I wrote back, just trust me. His section was called Mad Libs Against Humanity. It was an interactive game where two couples were given cards from the game, Cards Against Humanity, that they were then used to fill in the blanks of a story that Steve was building. Then the audience voted each time for the winning card. It was a perfect release after Brooke and Aaron's story. A chance for the audience and performers to just be silly. And so this next clip is one of the times that the audience voted for the cards. Enjoy. I, I lost my wife about a year ago to Oompa Loompas. <laughs> or I lost my wife about a year ago to a gentle caress of the inner thigh. <laughs> You're caressing too hard. Okay, how many people want Oompa Loompas? How many people want a gentle caress of the inner thigh? Raise your hand if Steve's voice made you uncomfortable just then. Yeah, me too. All right, back to us. So the show ends, and how, what do you feel? I can, I can say with weird confidence and weird, like this has never happened before, but I was just happy. <laughs> You've never been happy before? I've never I've never just had a sustained high of happiness with without uh critique and oh we could have done this better we could have done that better we could do this better the next time that's what always comes in 2 seconds after finishing something and I I have no idea why that didn't happen with this show like I'm still it's we're recording this on Monday like I'm still just reeling from that night of just it was just so much fun and yes things could have been better but I don't even I don't care which is super weird for me to not care and not to just critique the hell out of it I don't know why I didn't so tell me why am I not critiquing the crap out of this show um diabetes (laughs) it's a blood sugar issue your your blood sugar was low (laughs) right after the show ended no could that be it no so so it ends and you're happy for the first time in your life and it's, it's good isn't it feels good to be happy how did you feel after the show you were there you were a part of it i was ready to dance uh-huh and we cleared that dance floor and i got down <laughs> i boogied 
yeah, I mean, same thing. It just felt, I mean, it's it's sort of hard to describe. It it just felt like the show was good, you know, it, and it didn't feel, I mean, I'm obviously probably more critical than you are of lots of stuff. And like there wasn't there wasn't a part of me that wanted to critique it, you know. That it's just, and again, it, nothing's perfect, but it felt sort of perfect. <laughs> I mean, it felt like this living organism that you just that you just loved, and so it was okay that something happened here, something happened there, because it just it just felt right. I don't know. It did feel right. And it feels right to end this episode with one of my favorite parts of the night. My friend Sarah Buffy performed this piece that she wrote about her grandma who was entering the last stages of life. It was beautiful, and this is how she ended it. As we wheeled her in the room and set her up to the sound of music to lull her to sleep upon our departure, I got close to her and with one final kiss, I told her how much I loved her. And with all the energy she could muster in the world, she blurted out, I love you too. We cried as these were her first words spoken in months. Since Grandma Jo isn't able to share her thoughts and words with us, I'd like to share a poem from my other living grandma. She wrote this a few years back, yet I insist I read it at every party that I host. Don't come to one of those, you'll hear this again. <laughs> the way these two women have been able to spend their final years has been quite different as the kiss of death approaches them. One surrounded by friends and family in a daily old fashion, plenty of bridge and tennis, and the other grieving the loss of her beloved husband, quietly pittering around the house looking for meaning. I've learned a lot from both of them about love and loss and acceptance and joy. In the following poem, I grieve for Grandma Jo as this is not her reality. However, I'm grateful for the hope that Grandma Buffy has given us, her grandchildren, as we continue on our path. On being 80, my fingernails are thin and my toenails are so tough. My hair is falling out and my chin whiskers are rough. <laughs> my memory is failing and my eyesight is suspect, but I still hear fairly well and still stand quite erect. My teeth are all my own and my mind's not yet decrepit. I can drive quite well alone, though some may not suspect it. <laughs> Through all these many decades, there's one thing that's for sure. While the body surely falters, sensibility still rings pure. So while I'm getting older and time left is getting scarce, might I venture a bit bolder, not yet quite ready for the hearse. Now then a bit of chortle for something left unsaid. While I surely know I'm mortal, I'm not as yet quite dead. Thank you. That's it for this episode. Thanks for listening. If you like what we're doing here, I'm going to ask you to do three things. Number one. Go to rebelstorytellers.com and subscribe to our Backstage Pass newsletter. Number two, I want you to subscribe to this podcast via iTunes if you haven't already. And number three, spread the love. Tell your friends to listen. You're our only hope of this podcast getting out into culture and sparking a little hope and action in this world. My name is Brad Wise. My co-host is Steve Fuller. Thanks to Jim Zartman of Talkie Records for all of our music. And thanks to everyone who came out for the Kiss Show. It was incredible. And until next time, keep creating.